This episode of Lucky Paper Radio is brought to you by that one annoying hole at FNM that just won't concede the match even though they've clearly lost. I don't know what they think's gonna happen. Maybe they're hoping someone will pull the fire alarm or you'll somehow forget to win the game. Who knows? Anyway, f- you, buddy. Welcome to Lucky Paper Radio. I am your host, Andy, and I'm here as always with my co-host, Anthony, but we have another guest, Anthony, somebody I have spent all of my nickname equity on. We are joined by a third on this episode, and this is the god of gold cards, the genius of jank, the group hug cube thug, the chairman of the casual pod, our very own vociferous Vorthos, the man that once killed me with Medzali Tower of Triumph, and the Kineos and Tiro of my heart, Daniel. Hi, Daniel. Hi, how are you? I'm so delighted that you had all those names for me. <laughs> They're pretty good, right? I spent They're incredible. Those. I forgot that- I'm happy to sacrifice my, uh, my nickname equity. I Daniel, forgot to somebody the show. We're things. very glad to have you. Thank you. I'm so happy to be here. Daniel, you're, uh, I think my plan is for you to become our official Commander correspondent on this show. Anthony and I play Commander, but mm. not as, we're not as engaged with the format as we are with, with Cube. And so when we have Commander products that come out, if you're up for it, I'd love to have you join us on the show every time we have a Commander product come out because you are deep in that Commander world. It would be a delight. I, I really love the format. Uh, I've been playing for a long time. And it would be it would be a joy to do that. I think that there's so much coming out, uh, so much that has been out, and I have a lot of opinions on a lot of these new shiny cards. Yeah, I think the best way to describe Daniel, maybe Anthony can weigh in here too. Daniel's the person that everybody wishes was there, was in their commander pod. <laughs> like this is the person you want to play commander with. I'll back that up. Well, thank you. It's fun, cool to hang out with. Fun guy, cool decks. You're not trying to spike the pod. You got cool fun decks that do fun things. And you're just delightful to be around. I, I'm really grateful. Like that's that's so kind of you to say. I really sometimes wonder if I'm doing enough to be a sort of like a genuine magic player. Like I didn't really play a lot of one v one magic until I hung out with you guys. So I really just like spent a lot of time figuring out if I wanted to, you know, what kind of player do I want to be? Do I want to be a person that tries to spike a draft or stack someone out of a game or like instant kill somebody or am i a person that wants to have fun with cards and and i should give yourself some credit too though you're a pretty good limited player well thank you yeah i mean a lot of that is you always win in the most traditional and expected ways but you definitely can uh, (laughs) hold your own no uh i definitely the the best the best game i ever played in limited was in theros limited where i chose the pack one pick one the reincarnation simic enchantment card and i just cycled through a whole bunch of uh creature enchantments to get to better enchantments uh and then i 3 0 against jay who is noticeably better magic player than i am jay's better than all of us the other person yeah. from our local play group mentioned pretty often on this podcast <laughs> so maybe yeah, someday so we'll have to have jay on so we can uh, you know fill out the whole lore that people are listening to I was going to say, I have been mentioned, like, in passing uh, a number of times on here. And I think that part of that is because it's, 
I, I just have wackadoo things. I it's no I coincidence, at... Daniel. It's no coincidence you've been mentioned on the show. You're uh, you're a memorable guy. Not wackadoo things. You have a, a valuable different perspective. Well, I hope to continue. It's a little bit today. wackadoo. It's a little bit wackadoo. I, I was saying before Anthony hopped on the Zoom call. I, I think Daniel, you have like uh, you're just like one of the most intuitive players that I know. Like I feel like you play in a way where you can't always explain why you're doing what you're doing, but it tends to work out pretty well for you. Yeah, uh, the way that I typically evaluate cards is not by, you're going to hate me for saying this, I don't look at the mana cost when I look at things. All right, click, hang up on the Zoom <laughs> call. So we, we obviously can't put all I this really... fake news and misinformation out on our podcast. We have, we have, a, we have standards here, Daniel. We have <laughs> a, a journalistic integrity. We can't just be telling people that the mana cost is irrelevant. Count every pip, that's all I'm saying. So on this episode, we are going to be, of course, talking about Commander Legends. That's why we have our Commander Correspondent here with us. But also, we want to spend a little bit of time talking about Daniel's own cube, which is a little bit different, perhaps, than other cubes you might have played. And Daniel, I think we should just dive right into a pack one, pick one, without necessarily explaining the cube right away to our listeners. Does that make sense to you? Sure, I'd love to. So as always, I'm going to read the pack, and uh, if you are playing along at home, I recommend pausing the podcast, looking these cards up, so you can... <laughs> play the pack one pick one game with us because i think it is a very interesting cube with interesting with an interesting context in which to evaluate cards so the pack is as follows maldrotha the grave tide saltari gorillas your tiller nephilim shadow mage infiltrator golgari find broker tajik legion's edge treasury thrall pure and simple reaper of the wilds Farika's Mender, Vainfire Border Post, Paranoid Delusions, Venser the Sojourner, Mana Confluence, and Guild Mages Forum. Now, everybody pause the podcast. Go look up these cards. I'll, put, I'll try and put a link in the show notes to this pack and uh, come back and then we'll talk, about, we'll talk about what we're taking here. Dan, I'm going to leave you for the end because you're, uh, you are the authority on this, on this uh, environment. Anthony... You've played this cube before. What are you looking at from this pack? Uh, this is a pretty tough pack. I think for me it's between Moldrotha, Tajik, and maybe Mana Confluence. I feel like the obvious choice here would be Mana Confluence if you're just looking at the pack. But uh, for complicated reasons, I think it's actually less important than, than uh, it looks. And I, I honestly just love drafting aggressive decks in this cube. Damn, you stole my thunder, because I also love drafting aggressive decks. I would say that the ones, the, the cards in contention for me are, are also Tajik, also Mana Confluence. I'm going to put Pure and Simple in there, too. Pure, oh, yeah. I think, is, uh, is really quite powerful here. So before we get to Daniel's, Daniel's cards he's looking at, I do want to clarify. Every card in this pack is gold, and indeed, every card in this entire cube is gold. This is a gold cube. So for that reason, you might think that Anthony and I would be very keen to take a Mana Confluence pack one pick one, because of course, why would you ever pass up excellent mana fixing in a gold cube? And it's definitely in contention for both of us, but there is a slight rules modification here, Daniel. And why don't you, why don't you break the rules modification to, uh, to our listeners? Yeah, the reason that uh, I have all these gold cards in the cube is because I wanted to have an all gold cube card. I really love multicolored cards in general, uh, and I decided that we should create a cube that like in, was inspired just by gold cards. Problem is that it's really hard to cast all gold cards. In mana a, in costs, a, the bane yeah. of Daniel's existence. <laughs> you know me. I hate a, How hate a high level. How dare these cards cost mana? <laughs> so 
at the beginning of every game, each player begins the game with the pillar of the parents in play. It is a old school Ravnica gold card, uh, and it says that you can tap it uh, for any color mana that you want, but it can only be used to cast multicolor spells. So everybody begins with the pillar of the parents in play. So not only do you get a five color land for free, though importantly, a five color land that can't activate abilities uh, based on Daniel's rules. But also, you start a turn ahead. I mean, not a turn ahead of your opponent, just a turn ahead of what the normal ex understood curve of magic is. Daniel, you go on in. What are the cards that you are looking at from this pack as a potential pack one pick one? There's a, there's a couple that I really like. Uh, the first one is Guildmage's Forum. And the reason that I like that is because I know that there's a whole bunch of plus one plus one synergies within this cube. So having that extra counter on a creature when it enters the battlefield is really impactful in ways that you wouldn't necessarily expect. So that would typically be my first go-to. It also doesn't necessarily slot me into any specific deck or any specific type. Uh, so it keeps me open as things are going. The other thing that I was looking at is Venser, the Sojourner, primarily because of the plus one ability. The other two are also like pretty relevant. Uh, but the first ability says exile target permanent that you own, return it to the battlefield under your control at the beginning of the next end step. Um, and that has a lot of synergies with blinking creatures, enter the battlefield's creatures. Uh, if you get low on a planeswalker and you need to reset it, it's all really good. And I think that the third one in contention for me is uh, Paranoid Delusions, which is uh, blue-black uh, target player mills three cards. But then it also has Cypher, so that if a creature that you control ciphered with this, or encoded with it, deals combat damage to a player, you get to cast that spell again. Wow, have we ever had such a divisive pick? Time to fight about it. Time to get <laughs> the huge argument. No, so I mean, this is... Uh... This, I think, does a good job highlighting the diversity of this environment. And I have to say, Daniel, when I I was uh, early to adopt Cube within our play group, and I started mm -hmm. kind of evangelizing it to other people, you included, and you had, like, wondered out loud to me, I think, at an FNM or something, or Wednesday Night Magic, you were like, I wonder if you can make a whole gold cube. And I was kind of pushing you, like, yeah, do it, do it, do it. But I got to be honest, I was pushing you in, like, a... I don't know, like a selfish way. I didn't really think an all gold cube would be that much fun. I just thought it'd be cool if you made it, and I just wanted more cubes in the play group, but I was just like, I don't know. Sounds like kind of not a great format. And then you were like, I'm going to give everybody a pillar of the parents, and I was like, that sounds kind of questionable. I don't know about that. And then when I, the first time I actually played this cube, I was blown away by how fun it is, by how challenging it is, and by how interesting it is to radically recontextualize magic cards just by making these two simple changes or really the one simple change of starting with pillar of the parents and then your design choice of only including gold cards because this environment plays really fascinatingly uh and has a lot of replay value i think and one of the things that anthony alluded to was playing aggro in this format which is also my favorite thing to do here anthony do you want to describe what how an aggro deck is even possible in an environment where all of the cards are gold cards and we only get the one fixing land I mean, before even getting into that, I, I just think that this cube really, really highlights what I think is so awesome about cube as a format that can really appeal to, uh, you know, every variety of Magic player. Um, so as much as Daniel loves, you know, sort of the emotional attachment to a lot of these cards and just the, the emotional response to gold cards in themselves, we can really also take our, like, spikier mentality to it and just try and solve this cube. And it is a really, really, really interesting puzzle to try and break down. So the the... 
weird tweak that I think it took us a little while. I think when, when we first started playing this cube, we all did a whole bunch of simulated drafts on Cube Cobra, and it took us all a few games to kind of figure out how it really works. And the thing is, if you just pick two colors, uh, or even just one color, you can then draft cards that are just have a single pip off your main colors, and basically just ignore it, because you always have the Pillar of the Bruns. There's intentionally no land destruction, so uh, you're not going to worry about losing it. So if I take Tajik, it's not actually a, a gold card in the sense of a, a red-white card that I have to be both red and white. It's actually even, even the opposite. It's a hybrid card. I have to be at least white or red, but that's much more open than even just a monocolored would be in a normal draft. Uh, on the other hand, if we look at something like Moldrotha, even though it's a three-color card, we can kind of just think of that as a two-color card where we have to fit into one of those uh, three-color pairs that, that is in, in it. So because right. of the fact that you're t- starting a turn ahead, because you actually have a tremendous flexibility in terms of what you can actually draft and take, you can actually build a very efficient efficient deck. And there's so many cool like lords that care about multiplayer cards or get a bonus and things like that that it ends up coming together really well. Yeah, so essentially you can draft a mono-red deck. I have drafted mono-red in this cube where I just take cards that are red and anything else, doesn't matter what the anything is, and always use the pillar to play that off-color mana symbol, and then nothing but mountains in my deck full of all these gold cards. And it works very, very compellingly. And I, Daniel, I gotta say, it's a stroke of genius, I think, to basically take the gold cards, which, I mean, I think most people love playing gold cards, as in actually casting a gold card. For those of us that maybe are less enthusiastic about gold cards than Daniel is, I think our criticism is that they're so hard to draft, sometimes you don't get the mana to cast them, and that feels bad, and so... You've solved that problem in a way that, like Anthony said, makes all these two-colored cards into basically hybrid cards, which is a actually a way more open draft environment than a normal Magic set. Because in this pack, we have, what, 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11. We have 11 hybrid cards, two quote-unquote gold cards, uh, and two lands uh, that we're looking at here. So a very open draft environment and uh, another just a, just a stroke of genius like i said yeah so the the other thing to know about this cube is that there's no no colorless artifacts in there either there's no real mana fixing yeah it's a gold cube people yeah. artifacts are gold there are not hybrid cards so you're not going to have a uh, like a figure of destiny you're not going to have a dovescape because those are white and blue but they're not gold bordered Similarly, you're not going to have any lands that tap for two colors. You're only going to have lands that tap for either three or more, or, yeah, you'll have uh, three or four or five. So there there really is, it, it's almost like like eating the, the top of a cupcake first, right? It's just so much gold color <laughs> everywhere. That is there another way to eat a cupcake? I don't think so, but I could be misled. If you don't think uh, aggro is viable here, let me just tell you, you haven't lived until you've played a turn one Dreadhorde Butcher into a turn two, like, a Gruul Spellbreaker, which you can do in this environment pretty reliably, which is pretty great. So at the end of the day, what's your actual pick, Anthony? What are you taking? It's it's really tough. And I'll also say that reading signals, even though we're describing this as actually a surprisingly open draft environment, reading signals is really, really hard. So I'm not going to sweat <laughs> too much trying to stay open because I know I'm not going to be able to do a great job of it. Even though Moldrotha is a gold card, you know, in the traditional sense of it's actually a multicolor card, it's really, really powerful in this environment. Uh, and unless you come up against an aggro, aggro deck, um, it's going to take over a lot of games. So I think I'm kind of leaning there, but it's very close. I can and see I think, that. I think, I think you're right that Pure is basically a, a Vindicate that is 
very easy to cast is, is a very strong card. Yeah, Pure is great, because I mean, Pure, people probably do not know the card, Pure and Simple. This is a split card from Dissension, I think. That's the Dissension set symbol. Mm -hmm. And uh, really, you only care about the Pure side of it in this environment. And that's just a one red-green for a sorcery. It says destroy target multicolored permanent. And listener here, all of the permanents are multicolored. I guess maybe there could be some tokens somewhere that aren't multicolored that are created by gold cards. But yes. for the most part, you just get to play Vindicate uh, in an environment where you start with an extra land to play, which is pretty good. Uh, if I'm being real, I probably am still going to take Mana Confluence here. We talked about all the reasons why it's not anywhere near as high value as you might think it is at first blush. But in reality, uh, none of these cards I'm, I'm like crazy thrilled about to start on. I mean, Tajik is kind of close. Pure is kind of close. But I think I'll start on Confluence and see if I can make any attempt at reading the signals, whether or not I'm going to play my, uh, my go-to aggro deck or try and do something more controlling. So I'm going to start on Confluence. And then, Daniel, is it Guildmage's Forum for you or something else? No, I think I would go with Venter. Venter, it's just good in a multitude of different scenarios. It starts pretty high, and it's hard to kill. Uh, I think that, that Venter also then opens me up if there are other things that I need to, to deal with, that it gives me that opportunity to, to give creatures unblockable in a pinch. Uh, I think that the you know the different ways that I could use this throughout a, a game makes it worth makes, makes it worth me picking a deck through it and around it I, I do want to call out paranoid delusions which you mentioned daniel as a card in consideration for you only because i want to mention that one of my favorite drafts of this cube we ever did was where i put together the the mill deck and what mm. was so striking to me about this deck is that so you have both glimpse the unthinkable which is the blue black sorcery that says target player mills 10 cards and then there's a gold card, which I can't find off the top of my head, which is almost exactly the same thing, right? Do you know what it yes. is off the top uh, of your head, Daniel? Uh, is it Breaking and Entering? Maybe? I don't remember. It's it's one of the Fuse cards. Uh, it's the Grixis Fuse card from the middle Ravnica set. Yes, yeah, Breaking uh, and Entering. You got it. You're a you're a true a true encyclopedia. My brain. Because, um, yeah, I have those cards, and I also have the Nemesis of Reason, which anytime it attacks the defending player mills 10, and then there's a couple of things that I have in here that allow you to make use of things in other people's graveyards. Um, so there really is a viable mill option. And unless you're directly in that form, you're really not being asked to... You're, you're not looking for those cards for your deck in any other reason. Yeah, I will say that the reason I thought this was such a cool archetype in your cube is that you really only have like kind of the two or maybe three dedicated mill cards in the entire queue. But the way I built my mill deck for this particular draft was, you know, I ended up with the breaking and entering and with Glimpse the Unthinkable. Those are my only actual mill spells. And then I played, I think it was four or five different Archaeomancer effects that let me return instant sorcery from my graveyard to my hand. So my whole deck was just little creatures, removal spells, like kind of a control deck, you know, creatures just to kind of block. And then I would I would just keep buying back the one of the mill spells over and over again as my eventual inevitable win condition. And it was so striking to me that there was a whole archetype, essentially, that existed just because of the prevalence of these cards that bought cards back from your graveyard, which could be used to buy back anything, of course. They're very flexible cards that go in lots of strategies. But they turned just like two spells in my deck to like make my deck an entirely different strategy, which I thought was a very compelling, compelling archetype. So that's a very cool deck that is also draftable here, which I, I like a lot. Yeah. One of the most prized cards I think in the, the whole cube is actually warden of the eye. Uh, it's a two pip, uh, Jeskai card from Tarkir. It's a gin wizard that says when it enters the battlefield, return target non-creature non-land card from your graveyard to your hand. 
so it really opens up anything that you want to be doing with planeswalkers or uh, like you were saying mill spells uh removal spells anything like that it really has a lot of modality to it my favorite card to start on in this cube is just kiora's follower nothing like playing a 2-2 bird of paradise on turn one that, uh, that feels real good to me <laughs> not vine mystic is also worth a mention Hmm. Oh God! Yeah, we I, we do yeah. have to tell the story of the one time Daniel you actually literally cast Progenitus against me because <laughs> this is a perfect example of how you see the game totally differently because we were drafting your cube and you were like showing me your deck before you played the games and I was like Daniel like what have you done here like you can't you can't cast Progenitus like why are you even playing this card in your deck like it's a it's a total joke and, and you were like yes I can watch if I do this this as you like have this whole string of things you're like if all these things go right i can cast <laughs> progenitus and i was like all right buddy whatever you want i roll out of my head and then uh you know cut to round two and there i am staring down a, a not vine mystic and some way to untap it and uh sure enough you just cast progenitus against me yeah i mean it's it's a joy to behold because when else are you going to cast progenitus in a limited game of magic i I mean, I, I mean, when are when are you even gonna happened. when are you even gonna do it in a commander game, right? Like that's I would say just as hard, if not harder. But like, it, like in limited, it's almost impossible. Yeah, I would guess the only times it's really been cast in limited are when it's under a shell dock aisle and you get to cast it for free. Mm. But yeah, other than that, it's uh, not a thing that typically happens. And boy, did I have egg on my face after I told you you were <laughs> silly for even putting it in the cube, and then I got dumpstered by it. <laughs> ranch classic daniel <laughs> classic daniel shit right there that is our pack one pick one if you want to have your cube featured on lucky paper radio email it to us at mail at luckypaper.co and include your name and pronouns and we will put it on our spreadsheet to talk about on a future episode daniel i want to talk a little more about the gold cube can you give us a little history of it and talk about your approach to it and then you told me before we went on air that you were considering some changes you wanted some feedback on so i'll just give you the give you the floor yeah so just as a bit of a history about me as a player i started playing uh when kamigawa first came out a thousand thousand years ago um, and i was really taken by legendary creatures and then ravnica came out and i was like these cards are gold and shiny and and really cool and seemingly restrictive, but I can figure it out. Uh, and so Ravnica was my, my favorite set of all time. Uh, and it has continued to be that up until this day. And it's really sort of spurred my love for gold cards. And so when I came to, and it, you know, it got me into Commander. It got me into like various like limited archetypes where I'm just going to choose all the gold cards and let the pieces fall where they may. Um, I've done that to your cube multiple times. <laughs> I, th I think we re recounted the anecdote where you drafted what you quote told me was a knight tribal knight tribal oh yes <laughs> and i was like daniel there is no knight tribal in my cube and you were like yes there is there look is. i have knight I... of the reliquary and i have uh history, history of Benalia. Benalia. and i'm like and then right. he continued to uh strip mine loop everybody yes yeah. yeah. and then you two won with your <laughs> knight tribal deck that just strip mine locked everybody yeah it was a it was a good day it was a good day to be in <laughs> So yeah, I just, when I was told about cube as a format, I was like, that seems weird. Um, <laughs> you know what I mean? Because like, I am not, I was at the time not really known for drafting. I didn't like it so much. It, it cost money. It was um, a little like parasitic sometimes because you wanted all the best cards in the one color. And, and I much preferred Commander, which for me was a lot more of a, like a, a soft format like you could just like be there and you could have a good time and 
you're there for the social aspect of magic and not necessarily the the spiky victory of magic. Sure. And then I, I play your cube a couple of times. It's like, this is kind of cool. Like, I'm playing cards that I would never get to play otherwise. I don't have a strip mine. I'm not going to get a strip mine. That's not, that's not something that I want to invest my time and energy getting. But I'll play yours. I'm happy to do that. And so when you suggested that I make a cube of my own, I was like, well, what, what defines me? What, as a, a commander builder, would I find joy in building? And I looked at a whole bunch of cubes that uh, were called gold cubes online. And I was like, that, well, there's like a hundred artifacts. <laughs> you know, like... <laughs> I love the idea of you like putting... You, you Google gold cube, or you look it up on Cube Tutor or Cube Cobra, and you're like, ugh, artifacts. Yuck. Artifacts? This is supposed to be a gold cube. Yeah. <laughs> Putting like, it through your purity test. So, like, so many signets. So many, like, like and it, uh, it makes sense in most of those formats because you don't have pillar patterns in play. Like, you don't get that additional flexibility. You have to plan that in. So as I, as I was building this, I was like, well, what if my, what if my two drops were one drops? What if my three drops were two drops? And so I just sort of mentally took a mana cost off of each of those cards when I was trying to figure it out. And that's sort of how the gold cube was was thought of. I also decided early on that I wanted to have two legendary creatures in each color pair um, and one planeswalker. Uh, and I and I figured that because it's it's pretty hard to construct a cube. And so I wanted to use the legendary creatures as signposts. So the people who like doing draft archetypes, they had that opportunity to like choose a legendary creature that they liked or that they thought would do well and, and build around that. So I didn't want people who weren't used to a draft format to, to get lost um, as they were trying to build a good deck. That's really interesting. I think that's kind of cool how you've taken so much of what you enjoy about Commander uh, and made it work in a limited environment while sort of being willing to take away some of the mechanical complexity of Commander itself. So it's like, you still get to play with these awesome legendary creatures. You're still playing these wild games where people are hard casting for for Genetai? But we can still just make it work like a simple draft thing, and it's as simple as just shuffling up the cube and, and dealing it out. Yeah. Uh, I also, I, I like, and, and maybe this is a, a function of me being a new cube designer, but I did fall into the the mindset that the, each color pairing had to be represented equally, right? So I do have, I think it's exactly 25 of every color pairing except for Demir. Uh, so everything, is, it feels somewhat equal so that you have an easier time trying to get your, your mana fixing at, at, like as you're building the deck to, to go well. Well, um, hold that was on. What, what's wrong with Demir, buddy? No, no, I have more Demir cards. Oh, um, you have more, and okay. Is, <laughs> and that is because I also wanted to support uh, like an artifact dedicated deck so there's a lot of esper cards in there and there's a lot of blue white black blue artifacts in there uh and that's actually one of the things that i'm I'm looking into trying to support uh more robustly as as i'm updating this cube so what what kind of changes are you thinking about i, I know you said you were planning some maybe sweeping changes to the cube what's on your mind well there's starting with a land in play that land becomes incredibly valuable and I do have some cards in here, like Vindicate, that destroy any permanent. So if you target the pillars uh, and you, you get rid of it in some way, then it really hampers the other deck to actually function. 
Um, Dude, and no, I, I hate to break it to you, but you do not have Vindicate in this cube list. I think we I? talked about oh, this great. years ago, and you took it out because you I were like, right, I don't want other people to kill those lands. There are, there are other things that do, like, Vindicate-style things that I'm going to start weeding out, I think, as, as the weeks progress. And that's going to include uh, the Genju of the Realms, which is a legendary, you know, Wooburg creature enchantment that says that this spirit becomes an 8-12 trample. And when it dies, it comes back to your hand. But if you put that on the pillar, then it gets destroyed and you've lost the modality of most of your deck. It, it's not a great way to play. And, and I don't really like... I don't like having to think of different ways to keep the land on the battlefield. Uh, so I'm just going to probably remove most of the cards that uh, deal with taking it away. That seems fine to me. I mean, in that situation, obviously, I would expect that your player wouldn't put Genju on their most important land, but I'm never going to get in the way of you cutting actual five-color cards because even though we talked about all the ways that these cards are much more castable than you first expect, five-color cards are still very hard to cast in this environment. Yes. So uh, they, they don't get much easier with the help of the pillar. I mean, they become four-color cards, which... You know, it's kind of a rounding error, the difference between four and five color cards and how mm -hmm. difficult they are to cast. It's a lot bigger than the difference, or a lot smaller than the difference, rather, between or one and two color cards. Or two and three <laughs> color Yeah, so that's the one thing that I'm I'm looking at, at adjusting. Uh, the other thing that I'm looking at adjusting is more support for the Artifacts Matter deck. I've got somewhere between, I think it's 25 and 30 actual Artifact cards in the cube, and some of them are, like, border posts, and some of them are things that other decks would really value getting. Unbender Time being one of them is one that you don't need to have in an artifact deck to make very, very powerful. Uh, so I've been looking at taking some other cards out and adding others in that support artifacts, and specifically artifact tokens, uh, because there right. are actually surprisingly few gold cards that make artifact tokens. Something I'm always struck by is, I guess it's probably changed now, but I remember when I first got into Magic, there was just surprisingly few gold cards, period. Because, you know, they haven't been around really since the beginning of the game or haven't been well-supported since the earliest mm -hmm. days of the game, mm -hmm. and they don't show up in every set in a very high density, and so there's just not as many gold cards as sometimes you might expect. Yeah, you see gold cards on, like, signature creatures, legendary creatures in sets as they come out, um, and you see it in Uncommon as, again, archetypes for draft. But outside of those two scenarios, and you know, obviously places like uh, Ravnica, where that is the theme, you don't really get many gold cards added to the the pile. Which actually, as as a person who thrives on this restriction, uh, it's really it's really good to be able to look at new cards and sort of evaluate them as like, are they are these ten cards, any ten cards, better or worse than the stuff that I already have in my cube? Um, and if they're not, then I don't have to worry about them. Right? I don't have to go through and evaluate all the monocolor cards that come out because it's not applicable. It really makes it easier for me to sort of figure out if that's a card that I want or if it's a card that I can skip. Yeah, that does make it nice to maintain the cube over time. You don't have to review every single card in every set to feel like you're keeping up with the cube, which I imagine is a yeah. nice benefit. Yeah. And the other side to that, though, is that you get really disappointed that there aren't more gold cards uh, because you do want to... <laughs> I mean. Uh, one does. I don't know if you do specifically. Um, but I get disappointed that there aren't more gold cards because I feel like they're pretty emblematic of... I'm, I'm just going to go ahead and say like they're emblematic of the lore of magic. Two colors teaming up together to do one bigger effect. 
So a, a gold card for me at least is a more powerful card because of the restriction that it has to require two mana to cast it. So you have like a red one card and then a blue one card. Those are fine, but the idea is that if you can get a blue and red card together on on like one piece of cardboard, then it's a much more powerful thing. Um, and I, I yeah. would always rather play with that powerful thing. Yeah, in exchange for the more limiting mana cost, which is of course your arch enemy, uh, you get a much more powerful card, which is your best friend. I am going to be taking, like it's in the pack one pick one, but I am going to be taking out your Tiller Nephilim. It just doesn't often have as much, it's often killed long before it's able to attack. And while there's a lot of stuff to put things in the graveyard, it's not powerful enough at a three drop spot that I could warrant it staying. In its place, I'm actually going to put Brea, um, which is, I think, a much more powerful card. And it supports the Artifacts Matter deck. Uh, and it blinks with Venser, so you can keep getting keep getting the artifact tokens that you need to make that viable. I think it's a great signpost for an Artifacts Matter theme. Uh, Brea is very powerful and probably worth the three colors that she puts you in. So yeah, th- those are the major things that I've been looking at as far as the game is concerned. I still have difficulty reconciling with the idea that all 10 pairings don't need to be equal. I, I still feel like you should have an equal showing of all the things that matter to the the cube. Yeah, I mean, I thought it was interesting you said that was that was a drawback. I think we'll often say on the <clears> podcast <throat> that balance and perfect like equality of of distribution of colors or distribution of lands or any kind of like system like that isn't critical. Um, but I don't think our point is that it is bad. It's just that it can sometimes people get caught up and it ends up being more of a distraction than is necessary. A lot of people find it really helpful to force themselves basically to keep that in balance because it's, you know, it's, it's a limitation. Every limitation breeds creativity. It right. will force you to look at cards that you wouldn't otherwise look at. And maybe you end up playing those cards and they turn out better than you thought because none of us are perfect at card evaluation. So I think that's a totally fine limitation if you want to stick with it. But you also shouldn't feel, I don't think, constrained by it. If you have a card you really want to put in and you can't find a cut in that color pair, then just cut something else. Maybe. Yeah. Maybe. Maybe. <laughs> I'll, I'll take. No, I'm just the, imagining. Uh, I'm just imagining Rakdos to ready with Brea now, and oof, boy, it's gonna be. Yeah, that's, that's the deck I want to draft next. I want. I want to draft the the Grixis or Demir artifact deck. Yeah, I'm really hoping that it's gonna be powerful. Again, like I need to have enough cards in there that matter for artifacts, but wouldn't matter for other decks. So it, it's a fine line between those two things. And I and I also kind of want if nobody goes for the artifact deck. I still want the, you know, uh, Seer of the Steel Winds or whatever it is, the the huge Acroma in Esper. I want that to still be a great top end for a different deck if the artifact deck doesn't come together. Yeah, it's, it's tough balance. You mentioned that you were specifically trying to find cards other decks didn't want. Is that something you think about a lot when you're making ads or cuts, like intentionally excluding cards that are too generically good that every deck would want them? I have difficulty with that. I do want there to be some cards that are much more potent in specific setups than in others and i i don't want like i don't want everyone to have access to electrolyze electrolyze is a great card and it it's a cantrip deals two damage and it's in demir and i want the uh spells. it's an is it oh you're right i did say demir it's an is it <laughs> and i do want i do want decks to be able to play it but i don't want every deck to think oh this is an auto include because if, you, if everything's an auto-include, then you're only just picking the 23 best cards in the 360-card set. Right. And then Jay will just 
ranch on all of us again. Has Jay actually played this cube? I know. I I think he's played once. I think he's okay. played once. I, I I think moreover the uh, the the bane of the the cubes that we've drafted have been the power of Nicol Bolas. He was in the the deck when this first came out, uh, and I took him out because it's just no no form of Bolas is a fair form of Bolas. I can confirm he was very tilting. Yeah. <laughs> I also lost to Bolas, but you know, sometimes, sometimes Daryl casts a knuckle Bolas against you. You gotta just, gotta just embrace it. Yeah. Sometimes he casts a knuckle Bolas every time. Every time. Mm, that's also possible. <laughs> I'm glad we got to highlight this cube because it's, uh, like I said, it is an example to me of both the potential variety of what cube can be. Daniel, you are a person whom I love who has very different goals in magic than I do. And it is inspiring to see you put together a format that so exemplifies what you love about the game. And I also think it's just a great example of how a very simple rules change. Like, there's no cognitive load to starting with a land in play, right? There's not, it's like all you do is just hand everybody a land and say, put this in play at the beginning of the game, and that's it. You don't have to like remember a rules modification or anything. And that simple change just completely changes the way the format is drafted. And I mean, also, then manifests your sort of goals. You want everyone to be able to play with cool gold cards, and you made it easier for everyone to do that. The fact that the cube works so well, and also, to Anthony's point, there's still plenty of room for me, with my perspective on the game, to have a ton of fun challenging myself to break the format and try and find the optimal strategy and just not succeeded in doing so in you know the dozen times I've drafted this cube. It's really inspiring to me for what how great magic is. The fact that you can do something you love and I can bring my own perspective to it and find something I love in that is just it's just what's great about magic. And so this is this cube is a is a perfect example of that, I think. Yeah, and, and I'm I'm glad to have found that this is a format that exists too, right? Like one of the reasons that I loved Commander so much was the the building, the constructing of the deck and, and finding the synergies and, and finding like you know, cards that you didn't know existed. Uh, like, for example, in this pack one, pick one, Sultari Gorillas, like, I didn't know that this was a card until I started looking at gold Boros cards. And this is, like, a super old card that I didn't even know was a thing. And it just seems, it seems really powerful. And I am just glad that it opened up this opportunity for me to delve further into the game that I love uh, and find things that I didn't even know were, were things I could do. Let's dive into Commander Legends then. This is a very new and unique product. This is the first time, I guess this is kind of in, it's like in the spiritual, it's a spiritual succession to like the, the conspiracy products a little bit. This is a supplemental set that is not standard legal. It's going right to eternal format legality that is designed to be drafted and also designed in this case to be played as Commander games, right? So I haven't actually looked. Do either of you know, like, are they suggesting you draft this in a pot of four people the same way you would draft Conspiracy? Is that the idea? I think in a pot of eight and then breaking into four pods is their, like, ideal design, uh, but also four-player drafts being supported. So it's a draft product, but then you play multiplayer Commander games with Commander or Commanders, as you do in a regular Commander game. And I'm, I'm curious to know, again, Daniel, you're on this show for a reason. We care about your thoughts. So what, uh, what are your first impressions of the new set? I love it. I think it's great. Uh, there's a lot of value to be had for reprints. There's a lot of awesome, splashy cards that only I would ever want to cast. Uh, <laughs> there's a whole bunch of 
new commanders that give you options as far as not just draft, but like making commander decks that didn't exist before. There um, is a lot of new commanders. A yes. lot of them. One of the things that they brought back for this is partner, um, which allows you to have two uh, commanders at the same time, as long as they both have partner. Um, and so there are cards that like value how many times you've cast your commanders, and each of those matters. So it makes it a cool experience trying to figure out which two pairings of the over 1,500 now will work best in a, in a deck setup. Yeah, it seems like that was kind of essential for them to do, given that they are having you draft the commanders for your commander deck. They would obviously... It would be a real bad situation to end up at the end of a draft and not have viable commanders for the colors you drafted. So the abundance of legendary creatures and the abundance of the abundance of them with the partner mechanic basically allows you to always find whatever commanders you need for whatever deck you've drafted, which I think is kind of essential for a draftable commander product. Yeah, I agree. Uh, I'm really excited to play some of these cards. They have brought back legendary planeswalkers. Uh, that can be commanders. They have like really done a lot of lore payoffs for specific creatures uh, that have been referenced either like in in cards or had previous cards, uh, and are now getting a, a fresh coat of paint. Uh, it is really really cool to see people who like the the lore side of it, which is something that I really vibe with. It makes me really happy to see a new Sakashima or a Jessica. Or a uh, like a a Krark. Uh, just oh, I, I love it. <laughs> Krark was a very cool card. Uh, that was the card yeah. I was maybe most excited to see in the set. It's a cool design, and that's a great example of the partner mechanic. You know, so Krark. Let's read it for everybody. Krark says it's a two cost red spell. Krark the Thumbless. It's a two two Goblin Wizard. Whenever you cast an instant or sorcery spell, flip a coin. If you lose the flip, return that spell to its owner's hand. If you win the flip, copy the spell, and you can choose new targets for that copy. And, of course, it has partner. Every legend has a partner. Every monocolored legend has a partner in this set. Yes, that's a great example of a mechanic that in a mono-red commander deck would be fine, certainly. But I imagine pairing this with blue or possibly other colors could give you way more potential to abuse and have fun with that coin flip mechanic. I also really like that it's a coin flip mechanic that doesn't have a really bad outcome. <laughs> like, bouncing the spell back to your hand is not bad. In some decks, it actually could be a huge advantage. I looked at this, and my first thought was, do I put this in my five-color Jeskai Ascendancy deck? Because I think maybe I do. Because casting a spell and getting it returned to my hand, if it's a little cantrip and triggering Jeskai Ascendancy, is a very good spot to be. Yeah, I would say that it's also really good when uh, you're in a Spells Matter deck, uh, when it's counting like a Storm setup. Even if it returns to your hand, then it's just another spell that you can cast again. So your Storm count would be two or three as opposed to just the one that it would otherwise be. So I think that I love either way talks about is, storming off. It's great. You know, yeah, Storm for three. That's great. It's the best. <laughs> what are some other cards you're really excited about, Daniel? Draft-wise, I'm really excited for... Oh, the courts. I'm super excited for the, the, the monarchy uh, mechanic to have a larger role in a draft format. The, the court cycle are some of the cards that appear to be in consideration for a lot of cube designers as well, even people that are operating at the sort of peak of power level. Monarch is a great example of a mechanic that is designed for multiplayer. It's originally from Conspiracy, but 
it works just fine in two-player. In fact, it works quite a bit better because you only need to protect the monarchy from a single player. So are you considering playing these in, like, your... I guess your cube's all gold, so you wouldn't consider putting them there. What do you think of the of Monarch as a mechanic in 1v1 games, Daniel? I think that it's really powerful if you are a an aggressive deck. Um, I think that it's invaluable if you're Boros or Mono White or Mono Red. The, the ability to be able to stay up on cards as you're putting pressure on your opponent is quite potent. Um, I think that I would value Monarchy a lot more highly in just about any uh, like CMC 2 or less uh, deck that I would have. Anthony, what do you think about the Monarchy, the Monarch mechanic? You really want to loop me in, loop me in about this format? <laughs> Yeah, I mean, that's, okay. that's, that's, why we're, that's why we have Daniel on the show. We want to talk about all the perspectives. I think the Monarch mechanic is very cool in multiplayer. Obviously, it, being on the defense is very often in a multiplayer game just like the, the naturally the better position to be in. So uh, a mechanic that sort of forces you to attack and can sort of like create interesting political situations, I think is great for multiplayer. In two player, I'm really not crazy about it just because the player that is ahead gets more and more ahead. And I think it sort of leads to games that just sort of tilt one direction uh, inevitably it doesn't lead to the most interesting back and forth type gameplay yeah my response when i saw the courts and there's a couple of other very strong cards in one in 1v1 that have monarchy on them specifically fall from favor which is the like claustrophobia effect that comes with the monarchy mm-hmm. is very strong Azure fleet admiral which is a 3-3 that's unblockable if you are not the monarch which is very nice when i saw those cards the response that I had was, you know what? I'm going to cut Palace Jailer from my cube <laughs> because I was looking at those cards and thinking, I really have no desire to play these in my own cube because of that exact effect Anthony just talked about. I think they have some of the highest ceilings and the lowest floors of any cards you could imagine in a one-on-one environment. The high ceiling being that if you play them in a situation where you can protect the monarchy, any of these cards will, you know, draw your next card every single turn and also have some powerful effect. And if you're in a situation where you can't protect the monarchy, it might be actively bad to play a card like this because you're just going to give your opponent a huge advantage. Now they're going to steal it from you, and now they're going to have this big advantage, and you're not going to get, you know, the value of your own card you cast. So I had been on Palace Jailer for a long time because it is so potent. It is really, really strong. But I also am always trying to cut forest from my aggro decks, and the fact that all of these courts were immediately uh, not interesting to me for that reason. I was like, you know what? Let's give it a Palace Jailer too. That's also got to go mm. because I just, it's in one-on-one, I think it's a mechanic that I, uh, is not in line with my cube design goals. Well, what do you think about Encore, the other uh, mechanic that they, they came out with for this? I think Encore is cool. That's, uh, it's basically a, in one-on-one, it's basically a copy of Unearth. Uh, yeah. and the difference in multiplayer is that you get a copy of that creature attacking every player. I I like effects like that, you know, especially a mechanic that basically gives your card in your graveyard some additional relevance is something I'm very high on. Flashback, still my all-time number one favorite mechanic. So uh, that is appealing. I think looking at the, the Encore cards in the set, they were costed highly. They're, they're all pretty highly costed, and that makes them, I think, much more appealing in the format like commander or multiplayer game than it does in a one-on-one game there just aren't Mm -hmm. any cheap low cmc efficient encore cards that are that are piquing my interest yeah it it does scale very nicely in multiplayer which is why they have to cast it uh so much 
or they have to they have to charge it up so like make the activation cost so high. I was thinking specifically about Kinsbale Courier, a two one for three that enters the battlefield and gives a one one counter to anything is not bad. It's not great, but the ability to be able to do it a second time later on in the game, um, I think is actually a very good 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 kind of like middle of ground card. Uh, that some maybe lower power cubes might be interested in. I think the card's really cool. Honestly, I could see that having relevance in like pauper cubes because to mm -hmm. your point, like it's basically a three mana three two with unearth that has upside of potentially putting the counter on a creature that's more valuable to have a counter on. I like it. I could see that in pauper and peasant. I gotta say, none of us have pauper or peasant cubes, but I think my biggest, one of my first thoughts about this set when I saw all the cards being spoiled is that I think Peasant and Popper Cubers are really getting hooked up in this set in a way that uh, maybe typical vintage or legacy cubes are not getting as hooked up. Yeah, uh, the other the other card that I would call out for exactly that kind of situation is Benevolent Blessing. It is a card that has flash. It's an enchantment for one and a white. When it enters the battlefield, choose a color. Enchanted per creature has protection from that chosen color. So it is sort of reminiscent of True Name Nemesis. Um, but also works as a, a protection spell uh, if something were to get, like, doom-bladed. The cards that jumped out at me specifically for Peasant were... We saw Slaughter the Strong, which was a board wipe from Ixalan or Rivals of Ixalan. I can't remember which. Got mm -hmm. downshifted to Uncommon. And we don't get a lot of Uncommon board wipes. And so that was kind of interesting. And then Feast of Succession is another card that's been generating some buzz. Because that is a essentially a six-mana languish that gives you the monarchy at sorcery mm -hmm. speed at uncommon which i think is another card that seems very good in peasant cubes if you're into the monarchy yeah and that art is just incredible i, I do really like this seb art on that particular one very compelling i do want to talk about the the gold commanders let's do they've it come out with so they did a they did all 10 color pairings each of them has one at a gold and one at an uncommon uh, and then they each have a, a cycle of the tricolor legends as well. Now, these creatures don't have partner, so you don't have unlimited ways to get things done. But there are, like, there's a, whole, a couple of really interesting cards that have never really been seen in those colors before. I'm particularly excited about Gen, our Canum Weaver, uh, which is the Mardu 2-3 human wizard that sacrifices an enchantment and then returns an enchantment from the graveyard to the battlefield. I don't know how strong these cards will actually be in Limited, specifically in the set that they are being drafted, but I'm really excited to see what Commander decks come out with these cards. Yeah, that seems like a very cool build-around Commander. I, I would be surprised if that would work reliably in the actual draft format, to your point, but definitely seems like it was printed to enable some cool, weird, synergistic Commander decks. Anthony, do you like any of these? The, uh, the gold commanders down here? Uh, I think some of them are interesting. Definitely the idea of, like, Goblin Welder for enchantment stuff like that opens up a lot of possibilities. For me, the biggest issue is the fact that it is a three-color card, uh, and a lot of these other interesting abilities are as well. So it's going to be really difficult for me to find space for them in cubes. And, uh, of course, it's going to be a little bit more difficult to find space in commander decks, where a lot of the commander decks that I have are actually monocolored uh, for some reason. Um, I think that's one of the things that non-basic lands are expensive. Yeah, it's not, not, that's eh. not, not part of it. I also don't like shuffling in Commander because the decks are too big. So monocolor Commanders are the way to go. Except I play all the fetches I can in my monocolor Commander <laughs> decks. 
Well, that kind of negates both of the reasons I just gave, Anthony. So, you've uh, you've uh, you've given I gave you excuses and you've you've left them on the table. I just gotta follow my heart when it comes to Commander, right? That's the point yes, of the format. That's, that's what I subscribe. Like I I live by doing something with it. I I like a commander that inspires me, right? Like that's why I build a commander deck. I like to be inspired by a card like, for example, uh, Obeka or Obeka, the brute chronologist that allows a player to end the turn um, as long as it's theirs. I just think that it, I don't know what I would do with it, but I think that the options that are afforded to me by having a three color commander like that are pretty high. Um, Sundial really, of the infinite on a creature in the command zone is pretty cool. Yeah. I just like, I like being able to be challenged by, deck building like that i guess the bigger issue i have with these is uh and i'm sorry i'm just going to be the heel in this episode because of the sort of weird tension that the commander color identity introduces they sort of either have the option of saying we're going to design these cards as commanders and pack as many colors as we can so you can play a lot of different cards in the deck or we're just going to say well this is a card that goes in the 99 and i much more enjoy that flexibility when you can say well this is going to be one card of a a package that's going to go in my deck than just saying well, here's this really, really unique uh, and specific ability. I'm just going to put this in the command zone, and the rest of my deck is all just going to be like sort of prescriptive, do the things that that commander's about. So I'm a little bit less excited about that kind of design, uh, card design for commander um, than about these sort of like more open-ended, hmm. flexible, and multi-purpose cards. I'll join you in the heel space a little bit and say that one thing yeah. I noted here of some of the gold cards that was actually uh, confirmed to some degree by a question and answer with either Gavin or somebody else, was that a lot of them feel like they are really bending the color pie, which I think is because they want to print a commander that has access to colors that maybe its mechanical effects on the actual card wouldn't put it in those colors. The one that jumps out at me is, uh, I really like this card, actually, the the Turtle Shaman Arkelios or Arkelos mm-hmm. Lagoon Mystic, which... It basically has what I would consider to be almost a mono-white effect on it, and yet they put it in Sultai because it's way more interesting to have access to Sultai cards, I guess, than mono-white cards. Obeek is another one that I don't quite get what's Grixis about ending the turn. Like, that effect on its own, Just like, it seems like... blue. Well, it feels like blue and honestly a little bit like white to me. It seems like the most common way that effect will be used, absent other cards that can abuse it, is just... You can, at any point, save somebody from dying. They're going to die, you tap your commander, and they choose to end their own turn, and whatever was going to kill them is no longer relevant, which is a kind of protection ability. So that's one thing I think is a side effect of a commander-focused set, is that there are different things that are brought to the the forefront of the considerations of the designers that are working on the set, which, honestly, one thing I'm actually kind of glad about is I'm kind of glad that this set is separated a little bit, we see a lot of designs in regular standard expansions that seem like they're clearly, you know, inspired by Commander. And R&D has said a bunch of times they want Magic Procs to be for lots of different players, and they're always trying to design things to get everyone interested. I'm actually, as a, you know, cube designer with really no cards in this set that are interesting to me, I don't think I'm going to test any of them in my own cube. I am totally fine to have a set that there's no cards for me to test in, given that it's a set that is so interesting to players uh, that are not like me. Uh, and I think that's actually okay. Uh, it doesn't bother me at all. Yeah, I think I'll, I'll clarify my position a little bit and say that like I think they did a great job of designing the set for the players that enjoy this kind of gameplay and are looking for these kind of like specific build-arounds. Uh, and the set is overall not for me, 
Um, especially because of the current state of the world, I will probably not end up playing the set at all. But that doesn't mean that they didn't do a great job for a different audience. And that audience is Daniel. So back to positive stuff, Daniel. So, yeah. What else do you like about the set? <laughs> uh, uh, not, not to heal as well, but like... Oh, no. Uh-oh. Oh, Uh-oh. I know. No. I know. I know. It's the worst. But the fact is that all of these gold cards are legendary cards. So if I were to add any of these to my cube, I would have to sort of justify or evaluate its space within the reason that I have legendary creatures in there in the first place. So it is difficult for me to then put something like, you know, Captain Vargas Wrath in in my cube when there's not much in the way of, well, there's obviously no commanders in my, my cube. So that was a really bad example. But like so, uh, Hamza, the, the elephant warrior, creatures get like one, one counter buffs and then abilities for it. And so... You have 1-1 one 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 counter synergies in your cube. There's there's a lot of 1-1 one one counters I, going I, on. I do, but I also utilize the uh, Selesnia legendary creatures as signposts for tokens, which I guess this could also, but they don't do it as well as the two that I have in there now. When I'm looking at these cards, I'm seeing that I have one or two slots that I could put this in instead. And, and that's, again, that's the restriction of me as the creator of the cube and i could loosen that up a little bit but i just didn't want it to be... loosen it loosen <laughs> it one more in each color pair do it let yourself do it if i were to put a card in my cube from the set i think that i would put gore moldrak and phenologist in there why don't that's you read the, that card for us that's for those the, that are not that is the simic 3-2 human scout legendary creature you and permanents that you control have protection from salamanders Love it. At Good line of rules text step, already. At the beginning of your end step, each player who controls the fewest creatures creates a 4-3 blue salamander warrior creature token. I think it's great. I think it's, <laughs> I think it's phenomenal. <laughs> I think it's great if, you, like, if you're ahead on board because they're, they're going to get a creature that they can't do anything with because they can't do damage to you. They can't block with it. They, can't, they might have something that would be um, akin to an, like a, an aristocrat's kind of setup, but for the most part, they would have to have planned ahead for that creature to exist. And on the other side, it's just straight up upside if you are able to get yourself a 4-3 at the end of every uh, step that you have. And you can plan it out so that you could get those 4-3s on your side specifically. That I, seems so. very good to me for the reasons you just said. Like I, I agree that very few decks in any one-on-one environment are going to be able to do much of anything with that 4-3 in your cube. I mean, it is a body, but like you said, can't deal damage to you, can't deal damage to any of your permanents, can't block. So I think the chance of it being 3 mana for a 3-2 and a 4-3 is very good. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm really psyched about that card. And the floor of it just being a 3-2 is fine. Now, Daniel, if you added that card, do you have Forbidden Orchard in your cube? I don't. I can pull up the list and find out. I do, yes. There you go. That's a combo, baby. ha <laughs> ha. Every turn, give your opponent a 1-1 and give you a 4-3. I'll take that trade. What else, Daniel? So, anything else you're very excited about about this set? I, think I have a subject that, I want us to end on, but if you have anything else before we, uh, before we go there... I, uh, I do want to take a moment... Uh, I do want to take a moment and sort of address the Jeweled Lotus in the room. This was where I was going to end, so... Oh, for real? We, we, oh, we, have, to, we have to weigh in, I think, on Jeweled Lotus because yes. it is perhaps the most talked about magic card in recent memory i mean it's hard to say because there's been so many cards that have been talked about a lot but this card feels like it really generated quite a stir in the magic world so so daniel wh- where do you come down on this one i think it's stupid 
Uh, I think that a three mana one time artifact that gets your commander out one time, even if it's in advance of the uh, the rest of the the board state, I think that that puts such a huge target on your back that it would be hard for you to get back from that situation. Commander is all about politics and it's all about gameplay and it's all about interacting with not just your enemies but the enemies of your enemies. And if you, you know, turn one, Plains, Jewel Dotus, Grand Arbiter, you're not going to have any friends for the rest of the game the first turn that you play. Isn't um, Grand Arbiter I, white, white, blue, blue, or is it just two blue, white? It's two blue, white. Okay. So, like, you you make no friends by having this Jewel Dotus, and then you are, your people who are going to play that are either going to choose to not play with you for the second round, or... 100 percent forever that you played this during the second round right so i feel like the momentary upside of having the jewel lotus out to be able to cast your commander super fast and end the game really quickly pales in comparison to actually playing the game anthony jewel lotus what's your verdict i don't want to claim that it is in any way objectively good or bad what i will say is that i think it is extremely high variance uh and more so that i'm looking for and would enjoy in a game of commander I'm Anthony. I'm not going to give my opinion. I'm just going to observe a fact about the card, which is that it's high variance. Here's my hot take. I think Jeweled Lotus is cool, and I think it makes total sense for what Commander is. This is a format where Soul Ring and Mana Crypt are legal, so I don't think it's out of place to have this card in existence. There's already a lot of high variance cards in 100 Card Singleton. I, I think it's interesting that I totally understand your criticisms, Daniel, which are very similar to other criticisms I've read of other Commander players, which is that for those of for those people that are, you know, maybe pushing the power limits or trying to optimize commander a little bit, this is a card that's just a slam in every single deck and it just decreases the variance of the meta and just kind of introduces a new must-play card alongside all the other must-play cards that are legal in the format. Which totally true. I saw a lot of people saying that this is not something we asked for, right? Like we didn't no one wanted this card. And what I'll say is that I think A, some people really did want this card. I don't I don't think it was at the front page of the subreddit for a whole week because everybody hated it. I think it was there because some people thought it was very cool and really wanted it. And I also, more importantly, want to point out that cards like this are an inevitable byproduct of products like Commander Legends. If you want Wizards R&D to design and print cards meant for your format, every once in a while there's going to be a big power outlier, which is meant for your format and is very powerful and everyone wants to play. And that's kind of just... It's something I think you have to accept because for all the players out there that say that they don't like this card and never asked for it, and the card they're most excited about is the one that makes, you know, Salamander tokens, there is a bunch of other players that are thrilled about this Jeweled Lotus and uh, would never dream of making a Salamander token in their entire life. So, yeah, I don't know. I, I think it's cool. I think Commander, to me, is kind of about doing swingy stuff, and you've already got Mana Crypt and Dark Ritual and Soul Ring, so this doesn't feel so out of bounds for me. Yeah, I feel like you're you're on the money there. Obviously, this is an incredibly powerful piece for com- like uh, competitive EDH. See, EDH, I think, is going to want this a lot more because they want to build oh, yeah. a deck that wins fast, right? And and I can respect that, but never play it because it like the winning fast of Commander is not what drives joy for me. And while the while this art certainly sparks joy, and I really like the flavor text. I don't think that I would ever actively, even if I was handed this card, 
I don't think I would put it in any of my decks. You notoriously yeah. don't run Soul Ring in lots of your decks too, Daniel. None no, of my you're... commander decks have Soul Ring in them. You're putting your foot down. You're, you're you know, you're you're sending a message. Well, the thing is that, like, if everybody plays it, then what's unique about it, right? Why not just have it be the pillar of the parents in play? Everyone should start with Soul Ring in play. I do very much like, however, that they uh, reprinted some other things that are getting less attention and notice than Jeweled Lotus. Um, I really wish that they had. I don't know. I don't. I don't want to say I don't wish that they printed Jeweled Lotus because that you know is something that I can't undo or fix. But I. I don't know. It it took away from some of the other really really cool cards that they put in the set because this was again like you were saying, Andy. Like anybody that was going to draft this was talking about this for the entire first week that it was released. Everyone's got a take on it, but it's a powerful card. I understand why. I mean, it it really brings up the core challenge of Commander and and really any casual format where to optimize the format is not always what's actually fun. So I totally enjoy sitting down with people that I know and I understand the power level of their decks and playing a couple games of Commander. Like Daniel. Absolutely like Daniel. But the more cards like this that they print that really, really push the power level, I'm not saying it's wrong. I'm not mad about it. They should do what uh, serves them as a game design company. But it does mean I'm a little bit less inclined to go to a shop and just sit down and try and play a commander game with, you know, random strangers. Because I've definitely had that experience many times where you sit down, somebody does a turn one combo, and you're like, okay, well, what was the point of this? And The The point was for them to assert dominance, (laughs) and you got asserted upon. (laughs) But on the other hand, I think that's what's really cool about this format is that it is a limited format, so you can have that experience of, like, these wacky high-variance plays, but you can still try and optimize it. And optimizing it can also be the fun thing. Yeah, yeah. I, I struggle with that same thing you just said, Anthony, which is that I do think that Commander as a format is a format that rewards you for not optimizing. I think what is interesting and novel about the format is the weird janky decks you can build that take advantage of old cards that are otherwise unplayable. And CEDH is totally fine. I, I actually follow the CEDH meta somewhat closely because I think it's interesting, but it really is just like vintage light with a, with a, with a few changes, right? I do think the spirit of Commander is taking advantage of all these other more janky cards. And so uh, we've talked before about, you know, Mark Rosewater's find the fun make sure you make the the fun thing also the way that you win the game the way you like succeed in whatever game you're creating and there is a tension i think in commander where yeah everyone reaches a point in their play group where their deck gets a little too good and no one wants to play with them anymore and you're like well geez i was just trying to you know play a game and optimize my choices and do the best i could and this weird kind of tension there which that's why i don't go to shops and play with randoms that in the global pandemic that's why we have Daniel. We can play with Daniel two, whenever two we want. Two pretty good reasons. I'd say of similar, similar value. Yeah, exactly. Similar weight. The global pandemic and randoms at a LGS that will get mad if you have a counter spell. Shall we wrap it up there, boys? I think so. I think that's a good place to stop. There's a bunch of reprints that if you are looking at them, you're super exciting to see. And uh, the dual lands that reward multiplayer plays. I'm really excited to see them finish that set off too. Yeah, I'm I'm very pleased with this. Jeweled Lotus notwithstanding. I'm just hoping that the iconic masters foil Prince of Mana Drain decrease sharply in price. We will see. So far, not so much, but I think it might once the cards actually start circulating. 
This has been Lucky Paper Radio. A big thank you to Daniel for joining us. Thank you, Daniel, for taking some time out of your rainy Wednesday and setting up a recording setup and talking to us about magic. I really appreciate it. It is a joy and a delight. I love to talk about my favorite game. And you guys make it incredibly fun. And I appreciate the way that I, I view it and the way that I play because it's certainly not optimal, uh, but it is delightful. And, and Daniel, the I way you play optimizes for fun. And that's what I want <laughs> magic to be for all people. I, I wish for everybody out there that you can have a Daniel in your life to play casual EDH with because it is one of the best ways to play magic, truly. Is there anything you want to tell people about, Daniel? Do you want to point people anywhere? I, I'm going to make you move your cube over to Cube Cobra. I'll put a link in the show notes, but is there anything else you want people to look at? Yeah, check me out on Cube Cobra. Follow the gold cube over there for updates on the latest cool gold cards. We had some technical issues with the Commander of Legends survey last week, so if you went to try and find it after last week's episode, you might have failed to. But, fingers crossed, not, knock on wood, we will have the survey out by this episode, so... Uh, please go check out that survey, and if you're testing any of these cards in your cube, no matter what your cube looks like, we want to hear from you and have you fill out that survey. So check that out at luckypaper.co slash survey slash CMR. The link will also be in the show notes, and we will have a compiled data visualization and analysis of those survey results for you in a couple weeks' time so we can talk about how the set has landed with various players. That's it for Lucky Paper Radio. Thank you all out there in Radio Land for listening, and thank you, Daniel and Anthony, for talking about magic with me. Right. Correct. <laughs> Daniel's making fun of you, I think. I think I'm very much making fun of you, I think. <laughs>